It's our wrap of the top business stories and uh, the latest. So just before we get into our discussions with Roy Motoni from Absom Asset Management. Uh, yeah, uh, President Sir Ramaphosa uh, will uh, be, uh, I guess, uh, making an announcement at uh, half past eight. And I think, uh, yeah, we all know uh, what uh, that uh, might potentially be about. Uh, and uh, yeah, so we're going to be, I guess, uh, shifting things somewhat and uh, potentially having our discussion uh, uh, around, uh, you know, the, uh, I guess, uh, issues uh, of, uh, uh, or the issues I should say, raised in the PhD work of Dr. Simone Peters. Uh, unfortunately, we'll have to shift that uh, uh, over the, uh, I guess, next week or so, and uh, we'll have a discussion in our Culture Talk segment with uh, Lianete uh, a bit earlier than anticipated. But that's fine, because that at least gives us uh, some time this evening to hear some of your thoughts on what might come out of those remarks by the President at half past eight. Uh, I certainly know without a shadow of a doubt that uh, many of you will have some of your thoughts. So do send through those voice notes, uh, even if they come, uh, I guess, uh, or you record them as Umong Ameli is speaking. Uh, but uh, yeah, 079-191-4270. And uh, do let us know some of your thoughts on uh, what uh, we could potentially hear from uh, the president this evening. But also that story as well, uh, coming out of the community of Mapila uh, in uh, that issue with Anglo, which we're going to be dealing with in the next few minutes. Roy Motoni, good evening to you how are you thanks for having me roy uh, as always brother a pleasure to chat to you and i want us maybe to start off uh, in durban transnet uh, it seems still reeling from that cyber attack uh, it seems much of the uh, operating systems or the enterprise resource planning systems they're down uh, and uh, yeah wreaking considerable havoc in that uh, critical port yeah that's that's a very significant story because if you think about it that port of durban handles 60% of all of our imports um mm. containerized imports and and also food imports and that sort of thing so it's a massive drag to the economy there's a couple of things that you have to think about first of all like i said it's a really big disaster but secondly this sort of breach only happens when you have vulnerability so it questions the question does arise as to how those vulnerabilities happened, whether it was lack of software upgrades or lack of investment or whatever, and why was it let to keep going? Um, I think the more worrying thing as well is that it's been two to three weeks and nothing has changed. Remember, when you're a shipper and you're transporting, you're transporting um, imports all over the, from, from the sea into a port, if, if it takes longer than you expected, you get charged. So what tends to happen is ships can only wait for so long before they look for another port where they can offload. Mm. Uh, and the owners now decide, okay, if this route works, maybe we stick to it until these guys sort themselves out. If you look across the whole eastern seaboard of, of Africa, these ports in, in Mozambique, I guess now because of the unrest, they may not be too viable an option. But Tanzania, mm. Kenya as well. You can find ways of getting 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 stuff through and then shipping it in, in inland. So that, that's that's the big concern. It affects our competitiveness. It affects it affects the cost of actually doing business and also the cost of bringing things bringing bringing things here. So it's it's something that really needs to be addressed um, with with significant attention. Mm -hmm. I was saying, I mean, last week, uh, uh, you know, that if you compare some of the volumes that go through Durban. Mm -hmm. to some of the other ports that we have, even, you know, the ones that we've invested considerably in as industrial ports. I mean, Kocha, for instance, uh, yeah. uh, and even, you'd say, the port of East London. I mean, just in June, you had about 17 vessels going through East London, and uh, I think around 426 
in Durban. So just the scale, I guess, of, of what yeah, goes totally. through uh, Durban, I think, is massive. Um, but, I, but I guess the bigger question, of course, is also what, what does this then mean in the context of some of the uh, debates around the reforms of our network industries, which uh, have been on the agenda? Um, and I certainly, I guess, have my own sort of uh, thoughts around, you know, the primacy of that. Um, but it certainly does have implications for that particular element of our growth story. Without a doubt. I mean, if for so long as your cost of doing business remains as high as it is, the difficulty of moving stuff around, it means that mm. your actual cost of living in South Africa is high and your competitiveness is low, which means you don't get investment, whether domestic or foreign direct investment, whichever way people fear bringing money here because it's very difficult to operate. So th- this is one of those things that requires um, a, a bigger bigger picture strategy where you have redundancies mm. in, in different ports so that you know if this one doesn't work, maybe we can reroute them there, keep it, keep, keep it within the, the South African seaboard, sea, sea uh, make sure Koha can do it, maybe Cape Town or something like that. Much broader thinking than wondering if, if we move it from Durban, who does it hurt, who, who benefits, who doesn't. Mm. And maybe the other question, Roy, I mean, is the vulnerability that this brings about. I mean, mm-hmm. um, it just shows that, you know, the concentration risks associated with having so much of our freight moving through particular nodes uh, presents a systemic, you know, vulnerability. Um, it, I mean, an, surely that an, should also be a lesson from this. It's, it's absolutely a reflection of the lack of investment. When, when you haven't mm. had investment in rail capacity and in port capacity, what's basically happened is, the country's grown, its needs have grown, but these, but these um, routes have become bottlenecks because they've not been expanded, which means their resilience has declined significantly. It plays exactly to that point, and that means that um, little problems cause big jams and mm. they become bigger problems over time. This is exactly what we're seeing right now. Mm, mm, mm. And yeah, those decades of underinvestment, and, and I must add, I mean, they predate even what many people are calling the nine wasted years, uh, yeah, because no, even in the mid two thousands, yeah, mm-hmm. no, definitely there were big debates around that. Roy, this um, story coming out of the you know World Inequality Lab, um, I find it quite interesting. But um, I want us to pause here for a second, and uh, we'll uh, pick that up. Uh, the story suggesting that South Africa's wealth gap has. Uh, remained unchanged since uh, the end of apartheid and uh, yeah we'll uh, pick this up after this brief break Uh, so let's take this brief pause now and take a look at uh, what's happening i guess yeah in the other markets and uh, we'll come back to our business wrap
23 minutes it is after 7 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk. It's our wrap of the top business stories. And uh, yeah, also anticipating in the next few minutes or so, uh, well, in the next hour, I should say, um, you know, uh, some remarks uh, from uh, President Sir Ramaphosa. And uh, yeah, many anticipating uh, some uh, yeah, I guess shifts uh, in that cabinet. Uh, you might want to send through some of your voice notes on who you anticipate uh, might be, uh, I guess, making... An entry into that cabinet. Uh, many people are talking about Roland Skuman. Uh, and Yasba, maybe go apply a lot of Funubaku cabinet. We hope I'll believe or what. I'm not sure. But it's okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, so we're going to be taking a look at that. Uh, and uh, maybe just a, a quick slight change from what I'd said earlier. Uh, we'd indicated that uh, we would uh, shift our uh, discussion with Dr. Simone Peters to next week. Well, actually, that's our discussion uh, with uh, Lanetta Sekwe, playwright, actress, dancer, and language activist that we would have had for our culture talk and uh, that uh, we'll have next week. But uh, we'll still have our discussion with research and PhD graduate at UCT, Dr. Simone Peters, uh, around the construction and reconstruction of the coloured identity in South Africa. So you certainly don't want to miss that uh, just after 8pm this evening here on Metro FM Talk. Uh, do send us uh, your voice notes, 79 uh, On, of course, this big story uh, coming through from the... Uh, 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 inequality Lab uh, at the Paris School of Economics, suggesting that the wealth gap in South Africa has remained unchanged since the end of apartheid. Now, Roy, I don't know what you make of some of this uh, data, but it certainly doesn't surprise one if uh, you live in South Africa, because in many ways, I guess it uh, sort of complements the observed reality. No, absolutely. But I think you need to, we need to look at this with perspective, because it's, if, if you think about it, at the end of apartheid, when was that, 1994, that was definitely the definition. There was the haves and the have-nots because of what mm. apartheid was. But there was a global context to all of this. Remember that if apartheid ended in 1994, the global commodity boom started around 1992. So mm. what basically happened with that is China grew aggressively. It forced sure. the rest of the world to deindustrialize because nobody could compete mm. with cheap Chinese imports. So what that meant was we didn't grow employment companies cut costs mm. by firing people. Sure. So so that, that kept that kept wages at the bottom end incredibly low, which which feeds into that. But the mm. people who had capital benefited from 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 the global boom. So their capital their assets appreciated all the way till two thousand and seven, um, mm. two thousand and nine when we had the global sure. financial crisis. And then after that, when we started having quantitative easing globally the prices mm. of assets skyrocketed again. So the people who had capital became so, even worse. So Roy, Roy so, you know what yeah. I like about your, you know what I like about, I guess, that context? Mm -hmm. And I think it's important that we give that context uh, because in many ways it also, you know, might give us some insight. I mean, this idea of the role of commodity prices in influencing uh, the inequality nexus in South Africa is so important. Um, and I say this in this way. We've seen COVID-19 having a massive impact in the current moment mm -hmm. on employment, but it has also coincided with a rally in particular for key metals that we produce in South Africa. Yes. Um, you know, so if you think iron ore, if you think platinum group metals, um, and I wonder whether when we come out of this, uh, if we will at some point, whether inequality, be it of income and wealth, is said to be worse just on the back of who benefits from, one, the commodity boom, but also many of those who have been displaced from work as a result of, I guess, the shock that's come with COVID-19 and the nature of our growth. 
No, for sure. Again, it goes back to the whole concept of people with capital benefit from rising markets. But what you're seeing is a lot of pushback globally. When people are saying, don't use monetary policy, use fiscal policy to address inequalities. And what do you mean by that? It's by government directing its power, its spending power towards improving competitiveness, improving infrastructure, improving education, redressing mm-hmm. those differences, redirecting taxing power, so taxing the welfare a lot more, and redistributing that to the people at the mm-hmm. bottom of the pyramid, abandoning this whole concept of trickle-down, which just doesn't work. It just concentrates mm-hmm. everything with the top 1% and abandons everybody else. So, so the thinking is there globally that this has to be addressed. Um, and we're yeah, seeing that right now as COVID comes to an end. I mean, mm-hmm. we have to be positive um, and believe that somehow or rather the process of COVID becoming less relevant in our lives has begun. And mm. if it takes another year or two, it's going to happen. But in the US, Do you think that thinking is here in South Africa as well, Roy? <laughs> I mean, you say globally the thinking is... And you're right. I, I do think there's a global consensus mm-hmm. around the connection between fiscal policy and wealth mm-hmm. in, and income inequality reducing type of interventions. Uh, I'm just not sure if that debate is happening here. No. The, the thing about the, the, the problem here is that um, we, it doesn't seem to, we don't seem to have made that connection. The debate here is more around re entrenching the, the, the social welfare state, which I think is absolutely the wrongest thing. It's important to have a social safety net, that is for sure, but it is mm. a lot more important to empower people to be able to join the workforce, to gain the dignity of having a job or being able to create their own livelihood. And that's the, mm. that's the discussion that's not happening. And why is it not happening? Sure. Because we, we've pushed us, painted ourselves into a corner. When we see the crisis that we faced in the last two weeks, and then suddenly everyone is saying it's because there was poverty, because people are hungry. The poor have always been with us. They've always been hungry. Um, mm. This was maybe... Uh, it was maybe a spark, um, but you're not going to address it in one or two days. You, you, you have to now turn and say, over the next few years, this is what we'll do with our education. This is how we're going to absorb more people into the workforce. Mm. This is how we're going to encourage people to employ um, more people and, and, and that sort of thing. It's a longer-term discussion, but it requires a full policy change that, that focuses on enabling investment and enabling employment not forcing mm. people. Yeah, one of the tough ones there, uh, Roy. And of course, uh, as I said, I mean, we take some of your thoughts on that as well, on what are some of the things that are needed to uh, confront uh, wealth and income inequality in South Africa. You can send through your voice notes on 079-191-4270. Now, let's take a look at these uh, Q3 trading uh, update here coming through from SAPI. Now, uh, we know those are the guys who play upstream and, uh, you know, uh, dissolved pulp. Uh, you know, in packaging and uh, all of the, I guess, uh, wood fiber uh, linked, and which is just a nice way of saying, you know, all the stuff that comes from, you know, the timber forests uh, yes. that uh, this company continues to have in South Africa and elsewhere uh, in the region, but also globally as well. What do you make of these numbers? And I guess, you know, the good operating environment uh, um, in relation to, I guess, the, the tough uh, Q3 they had in the previous year. So I think what you're seeing there is signs of recovery in graphic paper. Um, and packaging equipment. Remember, that's, that, that's quite critical um, globally with regards to moving stuff. Um, but I think two things stand out. 
In the context of these signs of recovery that we're seeing, cost pressures, which paints uh, a picture of inflation, and also mm. weak logistics and logistical problems. It's difficult to move stuff around because you don't have containers, uh, because they're not sufficient ships. Um, the ships are in the wrong place. They're where there's demand, not where, where they should be. Um, and, and they're seeing those as obstacles to a faster recovery. They're positive, but they say these obstacles need to be surmounted. It was quite interesting. That was also the observation we saw in both Mondi and also with Impact. Mm. Um, but, but I think the happy thing is that global demand is picking up. It is spreading up. It's spreading out um, across industries. Um, and, and, and that's something that I think we can, that keeps our hopes positive for the balance of the year. Mm, mm. Yeah, certainly an interesting one there. And maybe, uh, I guess, uh, you know, just the last one, um, yes. PEPCO coming out and uh, giving some assurance uh, that uh, those 500 plus stores that have been looted and damaged uh, will be set to reopen in uh, those critical markets out in September. What do you make of that? I mean, it's a very fascinating statement, but very much in common with what we saw with the other retailers. So, so mm. Petco said 10% of their stores were damaged. These are over 500 stores, but they expect 350 to be up and operational by the end of September. Remember, they opened 300 stores annually. So they're going to do the same thing yeah. effectively in two weeks, um, in, in, in a period of between two weeks and a month. And that's, that's significant. I think it just shows the resilience of that corporate sector, the willingness and, and, and the importance they attach towards being in their communities and being involved in the recovery of their, of their communities. Mm. They're, they're also saying that they've maintained job security, they're paying salaries for affected staff, they're giving food parcels. So they're part and parcel of the, of the solution in those areas, which I think is it's a brilliant thing. It's, it's, mm. it's, it's owning your community. Yeah, yeah. Roy, always a pleasure to catch up with you, my brother, and thank you very much for taking time out to speak to us this evening. Thanks, it's a pleasure. Have a good evening. Awesome stuff. Uh, Roy Mutoni, Portfolio Manager and Analyst at APSA Asset Management, joining us for our wrap of the top business stories. Next up, that story there uh, from uh, the uh, Masubulele family and the community of Mapila. And I'm going to be joined by family spokesperson Oscar Masubulele, who's going to be telling us all about the story here. Uh, with between the community of Mapila and Anglo-American Platinum. Stay tuned.